0: chapter 10, and we're reading Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Again, that's page 869 in these black Bibles we give you. So Luke 10:25, parable of the Good Samaritan, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is it written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Thanks, Josh. How are we doing this morning? Ooh, that was loud. Sorry. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors and uh, again, welcome. Really glad that you're here And uh, this is the last Sunday of our root series and then Easter next week It is going to be awesome. I, I hope you will be here. I hope you'll be able to invite somebody um, It seems like Easter is one of those things where people who don't normally go to church are willing and interested in going on Easter And so uh, take advantage of that and, uh, and and invite them get them here Get them to hear about Jesus and what he's done um Listen, we're finishing this root series, as I, as I said, and, and the idea of Roots has been that as a church, we are laying down roots that are going to make a difference 100 years from now for the sake of Christ. That we're trying to make a a difference both in in terms of acquiring the property next door, but even more in terms of being the kinds of people we've been describing in this series. We've been talking about being people who trust God deeply. People who are generous with our time and our talents and our treasure. uh, People who are owners, who see ourselves as committed to the work that God is doing. And so uh, that's what we've been talking about. We'll, We'll talk about a fourth quality um, today, But before we do, I just want to acknowledge a few people that, that really made last week and the prayer walk happen. Last week, how many of you got a chance to go out on the dirt and get real dirty and pray and do all that? And that was great, yeah. It was really wonderful. And so I want to, I want to just uh, thank publicly a few people. Uh, Josh Watt is uh, the guy who was just up here. He organized that and really kind of had the vision for how that would work. Um, but then Mike Fryling and Rob Brown... Uh, went out with, I, I guess, a tractor, or I don't know what they did, and they plowed, they plowed it, they made it the shape of a baseball field, which really spoke to my heart, <laughs> and, uh, and and it just, they did all that, they cleared a bunch of weeds, and just made that a space that, that we could go out and walk on, and, and uh, feel free anytime you want, that path is still there, those ants are still there, you can ride one of them and go on a prayer ride, <laughs> ride one of the ants, and uh, we would love for you to to be able to, to pray for that anytime. But I just wanted to thank you guys for, for making that possible. And I know it was a yeah. Just a real tangible way. And I know when, when you when you drive by this, this 10.5 acres right next door, when you drive by, it kind of doesn't even look that big. But when you actually get out and walk on it, you start to go, whoa, this this is some meaning, this is a meaningful amount of space. This is we're gonna be able to do some great stuff with this. So so thanks for that. Uh, listen, I've got something here, and I'm curious if you know. What this is. Can you see this? It is a harmonica, but it's much more. What else is it? What' you say? Someone made a bold guess and then retracted it, so I didn't get to hear it. Any other ideas? It's a harmonica, right? It's an instrument. It's, it's metal. You know what this really is? This is the single easiest way to annoy your parents. That's what this is. The single easiest way to annoy your parents. Uh, Abby got this for, um, for Christmas, I think, from her little sister. And, uh, and, and she had wanted a harmonica, and I went out shopping with Caitlin, and Caitlin and I, we were able to find a harmonica, and for a few dollars, we got this for, for Abby. And it just seems like, um, it, maybe it's just the timing, or maybe it's just the nature of this sound. <laughs> that is just like, ah, oh, right? Like... There is never, as a parent, a good moment for that. There is never a moment where you're like, honey, play it again, you know? And it, and it typically, we find it tends to make an appearance in the car when you're trapped, right? And, and Molly, right now, she's six months pregnant, and so she is just kind of on edge in general, right? And then the harmonica makes an entrance, and it's like, like, like right when Abby's like right here, Molly's like, no! You know, so... In an unbelievable way to annoy your parents. It's a terrible, agonizing sound when, when played by someone that's just blowing in it, right? That doesn't actually know what it is. And, and the reason I bring that up is because the Scripture says that, that the people of God without love are like someone just blowing on this. Here's what it says in First Corinthians 13. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal or a screeching harmonica. That's my (laughs) paraphrase. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing nothing. The essence of the Christian life, the essence of what it is to follow Jesus, is love. Without that, you're a noisy gong, you're a clanging cymbal, you're a shrieking harmonica. It's not beautiful. might be powerful, but it's not pretty. And love is what this is really all about. Love is what we're about as a church. And really, if you were to ask this question, what are the roots of roots Right As we think about this roots vision to, to, to lay down roots that's going to matter for generations to come for the sake of Christ, what's at the root of that? What's rooting our commitment to roots? What's at the core of it? What's at the root? It's love. It's love. That's what this is about. We're in a world filled with hurting, broken, suffering, sin-afflicted people. Both the sins we commit as well as the sins that are committed against us. We are in a world starving for love. So why would we want to be people who trust God deeply? Why would we want to be people who give generously of our time and our money and our energy? Why would we want to be people who take ownership of the the mission that God has called us to to make disciples? Why? Why would we do that? Why would we decide to invest a significant amount of money to buy land and lay down a a, a permanent, rooted place for people to, to know and hear the gospel? Why would we do that? Answer, love love. That's what all this is about. And and here's what I want you to hear today. We could buy that land, and we can do all the mechanics of church, but if we don't have love, it doesn't matter. You can give significantly, right? Did you see that in 1 Corinthians 13? If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. Right? Maybe you come today and you've got this massive commitment that you want to be able to, to give. Maybe you have a lot of money that you're setting up to give to Roots. And that's wonderful. And, and just so you know, we're going to give you, uh, if you, if you came here kind of going, okay, I, I came ready to make a commitment, ready to give. You know, We're going to get to that in about 20 minutes. <laughs> we'll give you a chance to, to, to do that and to give that. But if you were to do that without love, Scripture says it's, it's worthless. We care about people who are suffering, which means we care about their current suffering, which is why, as you came in today, hopefully you had a chance to give uh, some food and some other tangible things to our M25 project, because we're trying to care for people who are currently suffering. But it also means we care about eternal suffering, right? There is a kind of suffering that lasts forever, and it's the kind of suffering that happens apart from Jesus. And so that's why we exist as a church. That's what we want to be as people who love. And not surprisingly, Jesus has a lot to say about love, right? If you were to ask any kind of man on the street, even if they didn't come from a church background, and they said, "What do you think Jesus is like?" Most people would say, "I think Jesus loved." He seemed like a loving guy, and yeah, that's absolutely true. And he had a lot to say about love. And today, uh, in this passage here in Luke ten, we're going to look at one of the most powerful stories that Jesus told about love. The first part of this gives us the setting, so verses twenty five to twenty nine. Uh, kind of gives us the the setting, what's going on here. Uh, So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it, and we see the setting of this particular story. In verse 25 it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now when we think lawyer, we typically think of uh, someone chasing ambulances or helping you with a cut-rate divorce or Uh, maybe some sort of corporate thing where you've got to have, you know, some important person in a suit that has access to all the information and the contacts and whatever, that kind of lawyer. That's not really what this is about. This is more of a scholar. This is someone who's an expert in the Mosaic law. This would be someone who's more of an academic, more more of a college professor type person. And this person, this lawyer, stands up and asks Jesus a question. And you get a sense of his motive, don't you, in verse 25? Why did he ask this? to put Jesus to the test, right? He didn't stand up going, Jesus, hey, I, I, I'm really a truth seeker. I'm hungry to know. How is it that you can have eternal life? No, he stood up to put him to the test. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other uh, passages that tell this same kind of story, we get the sense that the Pharisees, these religious leaders who are always trying to trap Jesus, they've kind of planted this guy as a setup. They're thinking he's going to give some sort of unorthodox answer, uh, and, and so th- he asked this question. And, and Jesus replies, You're an expert in the law. Verse 26, he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? So back at you. What, what, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. What do you think? Which is a great way to get people to engage in ideas. He answered, verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's not a, a new idea that this guy came up with. Uh, this comes really straight out of the Old Testament. In Leviticus 19.18, we're told that we should love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, the Scripture tells us this in other places. Matthew uh, 7, uh, verse 12 says, "...so whatever you uh, wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets." Galatians 5.14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And obviously the command that, that goes even before that came right out of Deuteronomy 6, the idea that you should love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the guy's answer. And Jesus replies in verse 28, he says to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, there's a couple things just to sort of think about. If you kind of put yourself in the, in the actual moment of this kind of a story, right? This guy stands up, and he's going to trap Jesus. Hey, Jesus, what's the? how do I inherit eternal life? You tell me. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor yourself. Yep. Wah, wah, right? I mean, like. So much for that trap, like that didn't seem to go very well. And we're going to get to sort of what the lawyer does to kind of keep the conversation going and and try to make more of this. Um, But for a moment, just stop and see what Jesus says. You've answered correctly, do this, and you will live. The question was, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Then Jesus says, do it, and you'll live. Well, what was it? Okay, here it was. Love God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, always. Do that, Jesus says, and you'll live, right? Which is this is an amazing thing, because it just shows us it's not hard to know what the scripture says, but it's impossible to do it, isn't it? Right? I mean, just love God with every fiber of your being for every second of your life and always put the other person ahead of you. Just do that. That's all. And you'll live, right? This is like when I, you know, was going, I remember in college when I played baseball and I would sometimes be in a slump and I would talk to who became my mother-in-law, uh, Molly's mom, and, and she, she would say, well, we'll just, just get hits, Oh, oh, that's what it was. I, you know, when I was back in the dugout after yet another strikeout, and my coach said, don't feel bad. No one in the world can hit it on one hop because I swung <laughs> in the dirt. Oh, all I needed to do was just get hits, right? She would tell Molly this same brilliant advice. Molly was a college swimmer, and she'd say, Molly, just swim fast. <laughs> okay, right, right? W- what is this guy? W- what is it, right? What do I do to inherit eternal life? Just be Perfect. Oh, okay. Right, which is a real challenge to to an expert in the law, to a religious person who actually thinks that they're going to do what's right to inherit eternal life. And I just want to tell you, if you come from a philosophy or if you come from a background where the way you think is that uh, when I die, I'm going to stand before God and there's going to be my good deeds in one pile and my bad deeds in another pile and if the good outweighs the bad, I'll go to heaven. And I've never killed anybody, so the good will outweigh the bad. Here's what I want you to know. That's not how Jesus saw it. What Jesus said was love God perfectly always and love your neighbor as yourself always and then you'll go to heaven. So if that's your philosophy, the good's gonna outweigh the bad, you need grace, right? You need radical grace. That's what this guy needed. Uh, But this guy wasn't really ready to maybe experience that. He he wanted to sort of prove to himself, "Well, well, but hold on, let's lower the bar here. And so you begin to see kind of uh, the story. Look at verse 29. It says, But he, this is the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who's my neighbor? Right? Because this is what we always want to do, right? The standard of God is up here, and we always want to try to bring it just a little bit closer, a little more reachable, a little more doable. Right? That's what it means when it says, Desiring to justify himself. Well, Jesus, who technically is my neighbor? Because if you lower this bar enough, I might be able to jump over it. Jesus says, okay, let's talk about who your neighbor is. And Jesus, like he does, he's just so brilliant. He he tells it in a story. This is why, as you just encounter Jesus, people went, no one spoke like this man. No one was like him. Jesus replied, verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So you get this, a man's going and he's beaten, he's mobbed, he's mugged, left for dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And and, and the audience would have heard that and gone, yes, a priest is gonna come to save the day. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Hmm. So likewise, a Levite, the Levites, these were were, uh, religious uh, people, they were to assist the priests. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So you get this story, right? This guy is mugged. This guy is, is beaten. This guy is robbed. This guy is left for dead. And a pastor and a seminary professor walk by. And they see him. He's in their path. And they walk the other direction. They, they specifically go out of their way to pass by on the other side. They're going to stay away. And, and if you think about it, I mean, you, you don't entirely blame them, right? Because if you, if you think about that, They're seeing this guy that's just been beaten and left for dead. Who knows if the robbers are still there? Who knows if the people are still there, right? I mean, imagine yourself driving in a difficult part of town at night, and you see a car pulled over, and someone is kind of beat up there. I mean, part of you would go, I'm going to keep going. Just kind of understand that a little bit. But these religious guys, the the guys who their job was to care for people, they passed by on the other side. Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, now a Samaritan, just so you know this, we've heard this phrase and we have hospitals named after Samaritans. And, uh, but, but a Samaritan, these were, these were people that were despised by the Jews. They were half breeds, they were religious heretics, they were people who were, you know, and the Jews, the reason that, that half you know, today, and, and the, the Bible doesn't have any problem with people who are have, of have mixed ethnicities or mixed backgrounds. But, but in that particular time, to, be, to have anything kind of that wasn't Jewish was thought of as contaminated and, and like a Gentile sort of creeping in. And that was the Samaritans. They were hated by the religious Jews, they absolutely were despised because of their background and because of what they believed. And that's who comes next. But a Samaritan. As he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion he went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him so so rather than moving away from this man in pain he moves toward him he touches him he gets involved Verse 35, and the next day he took out two denarii, a denarii was a a day's wage, so two days' wages of his own money, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I I will repay you when I come back. That's the story. You get it? Man's left for dead, beaten, robbed, desolate. Two religious people walk by and they walk by. A Samaritan, the least likely person, the most hated person to Jesus' audience, stops and moves toward the person and gets involved and spends his own money, goes at great cost to himself, risking his danger, giving his money, giving his time. Whatever he had planned to do just totally goes to the wayside while he stops to care for this person. And so so that's the story. What's the point of that? Well, Jesus asks this question in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Right, he's back now to the lawyer. The lawyer was trying to lower the bar. The lawyer was trying to justify himself. The lawyer says, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, well, which guy do you think proved to be a neighbor? Notice, the guy can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What's the lesson from that story? Is it the lesson that you should always pull over the side of the road and help someone fix a tire? I don't know if that's the lesson. I think it's something bigger and deeper than that. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus says, if you were in need, what kind of a neighbor would you want? That's essentially what Jesus' story does, right? You would would think that maybe Jesus would tell the story where the Samaritan is the one beaten up and the Jew comes to save the day and be the hero. But that's not how Jesus does it. Jesus says, imagine that you're the one going from Jerusalem to Jericho, lawyer. You're the one who gets beat up. You're the one who gets robbed. You're the one who gets left for dead. What kind of help would you want? Who would be a neighbor to you? At that point, would religious knowledge mean anything? No. At that point, would religious title mean anything? No. What would mean something? Someone who would come and show mercy. That's what would mean something. Jesus says, put yourself in your shoes. If you were in need, what kind of neighbor would you want? Here's the point of this. Your neighbor, if you're going to have kind of a big idea here, your neighbor Is anybody in your path who needs love? That's who your neighbor is. Right? Even today, we want to slice and dice this. Well, is this this my neighborhood? Is this the people I work with? Is this my... Yeah. It's all of that. Your neighbor is anybody in your path who needs love. Now listen, right? We said you can give all kinds of things away. You can have these wonderful talents and wonderful gifts. But if you don't have love, it means nothing. Right? If you don't love your neighbor as yourself, not only are you falling short of heaven because everyone's falling short of, of that standard, but you're not even going to be able to, to honor and glorify God with your life. Your neighbor is anybody in your path who needs love. And that's always costly, right? Love, real love, is always costly. We want to love in ways that aren't costly, but that's not real love. This is this quote by Tim Keller. He says, This one of the main lessons of the Good Samaritan parable is that real love entails risk and sacrifice. When you say, I can't help anyone, you usually mean, I can't help anyone without burdening myself, cutting into how I live my life. But that's exactly what biblical love requires. If you go, I want to love, I want to be loving but I don't want it to cost anything. I don't want to give of my time. I don't want to give of my emotion. I don't want to give of my energy. But I want to love. Okay, that's not one of the choices. It's not one of the options. And so the point of all this is that God is calling us to be people who not only trust Him, not only are generous, not only own the mission He's called us to, but people who love. People who, when we see needs we move toward them, not away. That's what he's calling us to be. That's what's behind this vision of roots, is that while everyone else in the world, religious and irreligious people, are moving away from the hurting, we, in the name of Jesus, would move toward it. That's what this is about. Why would we be able to do that? Why would we have the strength to do that? How would we have the power to do that, right? Because if you talk to anybody who pours themselves out over and over and over, what they'll tell you is it gets really hard really fast. And it's easy to run out of steam. And it's easy to run out of gas. What's going to allow us to to forsake our comfort and to move out of the things that are, are natural and comfortable for us and move toward people, what is it? It's this. It's that Jesus is the great Samaritan. Jesus is the, is the great Samaritan, right? This story is about the good Samaritan. Jesus is the great Samaritan. Jesus is the one who sees us beaten up, robbed, stripped by sin. And Jesus is the one who moves in toward us. Jesus is the one who takes on flesh and dwells among us, who moves in close. Jesus is the one who at the very cost of his life, not just risks his life, but gives it. Pays a costly amount, a heavy amount to restore us to bring us to spiritual health. And if we've been loved like Jesus, like, by Jesus like that, then it empowers us to be able to go love, which is why Jesus says at the end, you go and do likewise. The point of this is that your neighbor is anybody in your path who needs love. That's what we're called to be. Can you think right now, People in your life who need love. People in your path. People who you know you're going to see them tomorrow at work. People you you know you're going to see them at the gym. You know you're going to see them wherever you do life, and you know they need love. Be that person who, because you've been loved, by the great Samaritan Jesus, moves toward them and lays your life down for them. That's what Roots is about. Roots is about calling us to become that kind of people. Well, we're going to take some time um, as we conclude this particular uh, sermon and this particular series. Uh, we're going to give you some time to, to make a, a tangible response to everything that we've talked about in this series. So as I said earlier, we've talked about trusting God, we've talked about being generous, we've talked about owning the mission to make disciples, and today we've talked about love. And uh, all of this in the context of, of moving forward on this piece of property. And so we're going t- to close this time by giving you a chance to respond to that and to make a commitment uh, in a financial way to be involved with uh, with what we 've been talking about, and so let me just kind of explain to you a little bit of, of where we 're at with this. If you are a guest with us today uh, we 're thrilled that you 're here, uh, but you probably got a little whiplash as maybe you heard that and went oh, they expected me to give something and by all means, if you would like to give, we will accept it. We would love that to happen, but but we don 't expect it okay and so if, if, if you 're a guest if you 're just kicking the tires on our church, um, you can listen in on this, but really, I, I want to give some instructions to those of you who call this your church home. Uh, you're owning the mission with us. You came ready. You've been having prayerful conversations about how you would be involved financially uh, in Roots. I want to give you some, uh, some instructions and some encouragement on, on what's to come. So, uh, again, it's 10.5 acres right next door. Uh, the total cost of acquisition of this particular piece of property, when you look at the land and some of the costs associated with purchasing it, is right at $1.25 million. Uh, so that's the acquisition cost. Last year, because of your amazing generosity to our regular budget, uh, you gave $200,000 over that regular budget that is going toward this project. And so that lowers our total goal for this project to $1.05 million. So we've talked about that. We've told you that. Um, now, you take that number, and here's what's cool. We gave, on, on Tuesday, we gave an opportunity to our leaders. Uh, we have, uh, every quarter or so, we have a gathering with the people who lead our redemption communities and our, and our student ministries and other ministries, and uh, we have a, a great time to kind of encourage them and train them and bless them. Um, and we did something really cool this, this past Tuesday. We gave them an opportunity to give to Roots, There's a a kind of a principle if you read 1 Chronicles 29 when David is is gathering up resources to to fund the temple where David gives first and then the leaders give uh, following him and then the people give. And so sort of following that pattern, we wanted to get the ball rolling, we wanted to get some momentum started and so we gave those leaders an opportunity to commit uh, before everyone else did. And so I'm really encouraged to share with you that, that our goal is no longer that big. All right, so after Tuesday, or going into Tuesday, our Roots goal was uh, $1.05 million. Uh, We had about 50 leadership families commit this Tuesday $314,000. Yes. Yeah. And that's awesome. That's incredible. Uh, They they also gave uh, over $36,000 in cash. Uh, in terms of kind of an initial investment in that uh, project. So uh, our remaining goal becomes this, becomes $735,000 and so. And so that's our goal. And so we got some momentum. We got the ball rolling. Uh, but our hope is that everyone who calls this church home uh, is going to be part of this experience and part of this moment. So here's what I want you to do. Um, I, wanna, I want you to reach under your seat and grab this green card that says Roots need everybody to do this, uh, even if you're not going to give, just, just to put some peer pressure on everyone else around you. <laughs> not, not to give, but just to, I, there's some things i got to explain that otherwise this will be a, a confusing process for you, and I, I want to try to minimize that, okay? So you open up this card. Uh, the bottom section there in white, here's really what we are looking for you to make a commitment about, is uh, on the top right of that white section... It says, my slash our faith commitment to the Roots campaign at Redemption Gateway is total commitment through December 31st blank. Okay? That is the number that we're specifically looking for you to make a commitment about. Now, maybe you're going to give one time uh, today, and and that's it. Put that number down. Maybe you're going to give over uh, 20 months, and you're going to give a certain amount every month. Multiply whatever that monthly number is by 20 and put that total number down, okay? That total uh, commitment number, uh, that, that's the number that's really going to help us as we plan, as we budget, as we go, okay, how close did we get to this goal? Um, how does this work? Um, how are we working toward that? And then here's the other thing, is it, it, by, by putting a number there, it enables you to go, here's what I'm aiming at. I find it's very easy to sort of dismiss goals that you haven't written down. And so to write it down for your own sake... We're not going to be knocking on your door saying, hey, you made a commitment. Pay up. We're not doing anything like that. But, but for you, before the Lord, to go, here's what I committed to. Here's, here's the, the commitment I made. Now, if you're giving something today as well, then put that amount on the First Fruits gift line underneath it. Put your name, uh, sign it, and uh, in a few moments, we're going to give you some time to fill this out uh, so that you're not rushed. And then uh, in, a, in a little bit, when the ushers come forward, you can put this card Um, into that basket. Now, if you have a check that you're giving with it, make sure on your check you write roots in the memo line and just put the check inside your your folder and put it in the basket. If you're giving cash, we have envelopes for you. Uh, If you're giving cash to be able to put uh, that cash in the envelope underneath your seat, again, write roots on there so that it's designated for that and put it in the box. If you don't mind just only using the envelope if you're using cash because it's just an extra step for everyone to have to open it up. And, but, but if you feel like, hey, I, I want to put this in the envelope, do that. Um, if you want to even be able to take that envelope home and mail it in, it's pre-postage paid and you're welcome to do that um, as well. And then here's the last thing is here's a website if you would want to uh, make a pledge commitment online or if you have uh, friends or, or family who, who have told you, hey, I'd like to be part of what you're doing, Uh, you can send them to gatewayroots.com slash give. Now, here's what I realize. Okay, look up here for just a moment. This is is a big deal. We we did this on on Tuesday night. Molly and I were sitting right down here, and and we took some time to fill that out. And and the number that we're committing is, is a meaningful number to us. And there's a lot of prayer and a lot of conversation that's gone into that there's a significant level of sacrifice that that number represents. And so for those of you who, who are making a commitment to this, just in advance, I want to say thank you. Thank you for investing in this. And I believe with all my heart, it is a fantastic investment. So thank you. But here's the other thing, is, is because of how uh, big and how sacred this is, uh, we don't want to rush you, okay? So what we're going to do is, is Kyle's, gonna, Kyle's just going to play some music and we're going to give you some moments just where you're sitting to pray or to fill out the card or to put money in an envelope, to kind of do what you need to do to prepare your heart to give. And then in a few moments, the band is going to come back, and they're, going to, to, they're just going to play a song while the ushers pass the baskets. And then I'll come back, and I'll lead us through communion. So today's a little different day, a lot of moving parts. Uh, but we want to try to just give you some time to enjoy it and praise God This is a significant uh, moment of worship to the Lord as you prepare and as you give this gift, okay? So you've got a few moments while Kyle plays, and in a few moments, uh, Matthew will lead us.